This is the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast, brought to you by the all-new Natural Light Natterdays with a refreshing strawberry lemonade twist. It's Natterdays. They're going to run and get that boot. The Arkansas Razorbacks have completed the dream season. A baseball team that's on the way back. A college world series title. The Bomb Stadium. I almost got fired because I went willy the boss after I had a little too much sauce. This is the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. Today, of course, is a What's Your Beef Wednesday, but also want to get into this Razorback baseball team and how they barely won last night by the skin of their teeth against Northwestern State by a final score of 19-2. to In an eight-inning game. <laughs> In eight innings. 19-2. to Cole Ramage, man. That guy was pitching to Jim. And then you had a couple of other guys like Vermillion get in, Kevin Copps, Jacob Kostyshot got into the mix as well, but... Arkansas gets the victory. They will we'll see how the game and how the situation's handled today because it is an earlier afternoon game that starts at 3 p.m. this afternoon. Also against Northwestern State. We'll see how the weather holds up. Hopefully it does pretty well. But Arkansas sitting at 31 and 10 right now overall with 14 games left on the schedule. And, you know, the one thing that I wanted to bring up is because at this point in time last season, and in a lot of cases, even before the season started, because the expectations were there, but especially this time last season, I remember I was new onto this show or new-ish onto this show, mm-hmm. and I remember having people on the show to talk about this baseball team and talking with other media members and talking with fans and all of that, that at that point in time, with about four series left in the SEC play, people felt like this team, this team has a chance to win it all. This team has what it takes to win it all. They have the pitching. They have the hitting. They have the intangibles. They have the toughness. They have all the makings of a College World Series championship team. They have it all. And I believed them, and it pretty much looked like yep. it was going to be that case. Now let's put it at this year, at this perspective, where uh-huh. I know they lost a lot of players last year, a lot of good players, especially on the pitching side. We've seen a lot from this team. I think we've seen enough from them to be able to know exactly what this team is made of. So at this point in time in this season, throwing bias out of the out of the element here, just going along with our objective opinion, does this team have the makeup, similar to last year's team, to win the College World Series? Yeah. I was thinking not so much along the lines of College World Series or National Championship or anything this morning, but I was just looking at Early this morning when I opened the email to look at the final box, because I did not pull this game up and watch it to the bitter end last night. I mean, I, I was following along, and I saw the crooked numbers early, and it was pretty clear Arkansas was going to dominate this game. So I just, you know, I knew we weren't going to take deep dives on this game this morning. Um, but I got to looking at it, and one thing that stood out to me was the number 31. That's the number of wins Arkansas has right now. 31-10 and 10 is the season record. Now, if you pay attention long enough to college baseball, you remember when we used to say twenty wins in twenty wins in college basketball would get you in the tournament. Yep, forty wins in a Power Five league and one of the better Power Five leagues. Generally, if you have forty regular season wins, generally you're going to probably win your division or your conference, and you're probably going to be a top eight national seed. That's not a guarantee, but that's pretty close to pretty it. good pretty good lick now i don't know where arkansas was at this point last year and there sometimes can be games midweek that get rained out or conference games that end up in ties that we've seen on a rare occasion but arkansas if they get this one in today is likely going to have 32 wins 
with about a little over a dozen games left to play. They got one more midweek series with like Grambling or somebody. That's right. They were looking Grambling. at some of this. That's but one in Little Rock. Okay, you got the media guy in a computer or whatever there. <laughs> yes. I, I don't have that in front of me, but you can help me out here. Arkansas played all the way to the bitter end last year, as we painfully remember. That's right. I mean, they win last year. I don't remember the number. It was probably close to 50 games that Arkansas won. They won 48 games. Okay, they won 48 games in total last year. And in the regular season, I'm going to guess it was just shy of 40. 37. 37. Okay, so my point is, if they get to play today, they're going to be at 32 wins. This is going to be a team that's going to have a chance. I don't know what the record is. Maybe Ty can look up regular season wins going into the conference tournament. How many is what is the 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 most number of wins an Arkansas baseball team has won going into the conference tournament? Now that's not the goal. I don't really give two hoots about no. doing that. No, but my point is, I think the SEC. Or maybe I'm wrong about that. I think the SEC is better top to bottom this year. Damn sure appears the Western Division is. Yeah. I mean, just look at the rankings and look at the teams around the country. I think the league is better. But I'm just telling you, you get to 40 wins, and I don't know if they will or not, but you get to 38, 39, 40, you're going to be hosting. You're probably going to be a top eight national seed. But the problem is you may be at 38 wins and be third in the division this year. It's just going to be that tight. It's going to be really unfair, and hopefully you end up on the right end of it, guys. It's going to be really unfair to a couple teams in this division that are going to be really good teams that don't get top eight national seeds just because the, the committee can't give. Uh, unfairly, the committee can't give everyone in this in this Southeastern Conference a top eight national seed that deserves it. Yeah. Because they got to nationally spread it out because of the nature of the tournament has to have some regionality mm-hmm. to the to the bracket yeah i mean you could realistically have at least i think four or five sec west teams host a super region or host be a national seat i mean that they're that good but you know you mentioned their record that they're 30 or they're sitting at 31 and 10 they have 14 games left counting today because they got one counting today one with grambling they got 12 we know they got 12 sec games and these two non-conference games tonight and then one with grambling yeah so 14 games left right if they went seven and seven when 500 the rest of the way that would tie their record from last year for regular for regular season for regular season i guess and, and again and, that number doesn't mean anything i'm just trying to equate it right. into i'm just trying to put it some put some relativity to it so i'm just telling you 40 wins the great teams the teams every year that are the top 8 national seeds just go back and look at some of the old initial brackets all of those teams in the good leagues like the SEC and the ACC have somewhere around 40, 42, 3, 4 wins going in because that, by that time they've played their conference tournaments. So that, that's my point. Is right. I'm just trying to to give you an idea of how good this team may actually be right now. Right, and, and, that's, and I think that's a really good comparison because as good as, the, as that team was last year, which again, that's, that's what I'm referring to. At this point in time, right. everyone's like, man, this team – this is fun. This this is like okay. The, the expectation was there, and they're living up to the expectation right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, people felt like this was a college world series winning, or at least a finals team, which they ended up being. And so, if they go this year and have the same record in the regular season, maybe even a game or two better, if they got to forty wins like right. you're talking about, then it's like okay, 
then they are for sure a team that can win it all again, even but, though they lost all those players from last season. But 40 wins in the regular season, and then you're dumped out in the regional round. Doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. home. You yeah. know, big deal. I'd rather have 36 regular season wins and go to the College World Series, of course. Of I mean, course, that's, yeah. I mean, that's whatever, you know. So, again, that, that number doesn't mean anything, but it may take you getting to 39 or 40 regular season wins to get you the the seed you really deserve this year. Again, I think there's going to be a, some 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 real shames in this conference just because there's, you know, the music's going to stop and someone's not going to have a seat and you're going to be out of the game mm-hmm. when it comes to the top 8 national seeds in this league. And that might be that might be the team that just has enough of the re- a case of the Reds, if you know what I mean, <laughs> to go all the way to Omaha. Hey, them's the breaks in the SEC West. Well, I mean, it's just I mean, tough. I mean, what can what can you do about it? I mean, there's just you want teams well, to be really good, and they're all really good. Well, so. then you got Georgia over in the East. That's yeah, really. I mean, here's the strange Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, we know it's good. Here's the strange. Florida's not really good. I mean, they're okay, but Florida's normally like nationally really good. Yeah, they're they're not just up. They're not up to their normal stuff this year. Yeah, well, I mean, even a team like South Carolina, which we know has a lot yeah. of history and one. They've kind of been on the downhill trend since Tanner left. I mean, they, they kind of had some good years, but they, they haven't been the same since he became the AD. Uh, which Tanner was that? Who's, what Tanner who? Ray Tanner, right? Ray Tanner? Yeah. Yeah, they're AD. Okay. For some reason, when I think South Carolina, I think Tanner English. Because no, no, no. Ray, I, that name yeah, gets thrown around. I mean, I don't know if you remember Tanner English. Right, you remember how right. fast he was? Remember Ray Tanner? He was their. <laughs> yes. I yes, I got I his name right. He, no, I mean right? you did. I was just, I was okay. messing with right. you. I was just messing with you. But well, I mean, no. not everybody. <laughs> anyway, yeah, <laughs> their program hadn't quite performed to the same right. consistent level. They've had good years. Don't get me wrong; they're still a very good program. But he had them consistently, yeah. like in the it was Arkansas, South Carolina, LSU. Those were the three teams. They haven't quite been in that mix. Yeah. At, recently consistently yeah south carolina am i I wrong about that no i mean south carolina this year they're five and 13 in the conference right but i mean as far as them not being there for yeah yeah they're not as consistent as they no no and in florida sitting at seven and eleven which you know it could be just a bad down year teams have that i'm just saying florida's always Mm -hmm. consistently a top 10 or 15 baseball program nationally and and even and even kentucky's usually had some good years but this year they're the worst in the east and arkansas plays them next weekend uh, in a three-game series, so uh, they got Boy. They, <laughs> they got Tennessee this weekend, which is uh, they're a good team, not a great you. team. You can just win the next two series. Don't don't even use the word sweep. Just win them. Just win two out of three the next two weekends. Don't get greedy. Pigs get fed. Hogs get slaughtered. So just always remember, don't get greedy. You get a sweep, be thankful for it. Move on. But boy, if you could win. Just just four out of the next six SEC games, you'd feel you know feel, you'd feel very, pretty good. You'd feel very fortunate because, and then if you get five somehow, you get fortunate. A ball bounces your way. Whatever happens, you get a break, and you get five. You're going to need that fifth win because I'm telling you, the last two series with LSU and A and M are going to be just brutal. Yeah, brutal. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. Brought to you by the all-new Natural Light Natterdays. A light lager brewed with a phenomenal strawberry lemonade flavor that's perfect for bringing the fun to every occasion. The new Natural Light Natterdays. Touchdown Hogs! Holy Hog! So we had Danny and Russellville call in the previous segment and just asked about the basketball side of things of where Arkansas is getting a lot of visits from 
grad transfers, recruits, JUCO players. And it's and I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but if I'm a Razorback fan, I, I like that. I like the fact that there are players around, and especially in the grad transfer roles, that are interested in Arkansas and that are taking visits to Arkansas and they're being mentioned because we know that there is some talent on this current Razorback roster, but they need some extra help. They need some extra depth. They need some extra game uh, game player uh, playmakers. So it does make you wonder, though, with the amount of players that they have visiting, are they maybe looking to or expecting to have some players move on? And I and you're, you guys are more in touch with graduation timelines. I, I'm starting to see student athletes taking social media pictures and posts and stuff in their cap and gowns. So I guess... I thought it was always in May, but we're starting to see that time of year where graduations are starting to occur. My, my point to all that is, I think some of this news will start to come out about roster management, if you will, once the semester's done and the academic cycle is over. Some of that is you need to get the semester behind you for some of these guys. I, I thought the semester still had a few weeks left in it, but now I'm starting to see pictures and capping it. Maybe they're just trying them on. I don't know, but I'm Saw a picture with Chad Morris and a bunch of the defensive linemen. So I you just think, pick them. You pick them up early. It's not. You're yeah, right. It's, it's not till okay. the tenth and eleventh. Right. So graduation we, is. I still thought we had several weeks, but now it's all about just the cap and gown in the picture, though, right. Tom. If you do that, you're graduated. I okay, mean, that, that's it. <laughs> you don't right. need the piece of paper. You, you don't need, need the, the diploma. Yeah, right. that's right. You just need the all cap right, and gotcha. gown. But uh, but yeah, was, I was just confused. But I mean, right. you see someone with their coach in a cap and gown, you're like. April, not May. <laughs> Wait a minute. Well, at least they're going to be walking and getting the right. cap and gown too. So, but yeah, and as far as the players that you know Arkansas is looking at, and you know the grad transfers which are really going after. If you just look at the list, and you know I can, there's a list that I know Hogbeat.com put out a, just an entire list of all the players that are either taking official visits or receiving offer or whatever. But if you just go down the list, there's only two. Or excuse me, three. Three players of about 20 that are 6'9 or bigger. Three. And that was always the thing about last year and with Mike Anderson going into this upcoming season. It's like, who are you going to get? You got to get some size. You got to replace Daniel Gafford. You, you got to get somebody down low. But just from the visits that they have, because we mentioned LJ Figueroa from St. John's, that he's going to be transferring in. Now he's going to have to sit a year. So he sits one and then he'll play two if he ends up coming to Arkansas. I mean, there's a few guys that are like that. But if one of these guys was to transfer in, and it ends up not being a big man or a sizable guy, it just makes you wonder, okay, so what's the grand plan here? Is this what Eric Musselman's wanting to do? Is he wanting to go a little smaller with this lineup? Is he wanting to do it to where he has a bunch of wingmen and a bunch of guards that's, that moves fast, gets up and down the floor quickly, gets out-rebounded every game, but shoots a lot of threes, maybe goes the Auburn route and type of play. I mean, right. really wears it. More possessions, more right. points is the theory. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's what he's trying to do, and I'm not saying it's a, it's a bad way of doing it, but it kind of worries some Razorback fans because they're like, what? but rebounding, we've been re- out-rebounded exactly. since, the, since the beginning of time, it seems like. I mean, Arkansas has mm. never been a good rebounding team. Under Nolan Richardson, they weren't a good you want rebounding to talk about, team. You want to talk about winning a press conference, and Musselman didn't do this, but you want to talk about a way to win a press conference at Arkansas, like your initial one, red meat type stuff? Go ahead and talk about winning the rebounding war. Now, you may not be able to back that up, but you talk about music to the fans' ears around here. Hey, we're going to make a dedication. It's going to be a priority to me as your head coach that we're not going to get out-rebounded night in and night out. They, w- they would still be giving him a standing ovation. They would not have left the arena today. It'd be like a three-week standing ovation. 
But he didn't say that. He didn't say that. But do you think he had to say that, though? Because I feel like... Is there can... one part of the, of the, of the program that, that, as a fan, you wish would improve more than rebounding? I don't think so, no. Because it's that... been so long. Exactly. It's been so long, and, and there's nothing been more frustrating than you losing games, it seems like, because you, because can't... you can't get a rebound. Well, or what's even worse is a minute to go, you're up four, the other team has the ball, and they get a second, a third, a fourth look at the basket because you can't seem to keep the other team from getting offensive board after offensive board after offensive board, and they keep chiseling away, and now instead of a four-point lead, it's two, and they come down and do the same thing to you again and tie the game. So that, that, that's just, just very frustrating. We've seen that over and over where a rebound can be bigger than a basket at times. Oh, yeah. And that, that timely rebound in the last minute of the game is huge. Yep. And, you know, it's not just about always wanting the rebounding margin in a game. Sometimes it's about when you get that critical rebound in a game. Well, in, even yeah. if you go back to the press conference of Eric Musselman, I mean, what was, what was the things that he said that really stood out as far as the style? What, well, what were I mean, the things guess, he said? I guess pace and space is, yeah, is pace the thing that we all gravitate or, or right. that's what sticks with us. Right, pace and space, but also I guess, saying... Do we know what that means? I mean, that's the thing. Pace and space. All right, let's put it on a t-shirt. Let's put a hashtag in front of it. Okay, what does it mean? I guess uh, high pace and okay. lots of space. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's what it goes to. But he also mentioned the fact that he wants teams that will make threes, because obviously that was something that he had at Nevada okay. where they shoot a lot of threes, and also get to the free throw line. Because that, that was one thing he really hammered about, getting to the free throw line, mm-hmm. making your free throws. So as far as, you know, he didn't come out and say, I don't think any coach is going to say, well, we're just not going to worry about rebounding. Rebounding secondary. No coach is going to say that. Unless you're, well, no, John Calipari said that about free throws. That's yeah. It yeah. wasn't rebounding, it was free throws. He yeah, said he, that said, about. he said about free throws, we'll make it when it counts. Well, Derrick Rose didn't. Yeah. That's neither here nor there. But he, you no know, coach is going to come out and say that. They just say, yeah, we're not going to worry about rebounding. It'll be secondary. But I think that all coaches have their strengths. And they, they want to utilize those strengths. And they feel like that strength, if they perfect it, or at least are really good at it, is going to win them games. And so if they're going after guys, and I'm sure Eric Musselman, he seems like the guy that's probably done scouting reports, and right. he's watched a lot of film. I mean, we knew that when he was even talked to about the job. He went immediately and started watching film on Razorback basketball mm-hmm. players. I mean, that's just the type of guy he is. So I'm sure the guys that he is offering, that he's getting to come in for official visits, he's like, all right, so what can these guys do? All right, or Would they be good in the pace and space system? Looks like it. Can they make threes good? Can they make free throws? Yes, we can work with them. I, I'm, I'm assuming that's probably what the first and foremost thing he's looking yeah. at. I imagine, and it, it just a little sidebar conversation, one of the big culture changes in this program is going to be film. You bring up he went immediately watched film. That's that NBA background where you can get anything else to do but watch film. You know, when you're not practicing, we're going to watch film. As, and they got 100 assistants to do nothing but break down, watch film, analyze every detail and tick of an opponent. From what we've heard, and, and I don't think anyone argues, Mike Anderson wasn't a big film guy. Film guy. So his teams probably weren't big film guys. And he, he and Musselman talked about that. We'll watch film. We'll go practice. We'll come back. We'll yep. watch some more film. But that's going to be – and he talked about that in his address to the team there in Hunter Yurichek's living room. We'll make it fun to watch film. But that's going to be a – that's going to be a culture change for this team is the, fil- the film preparation. And we see it really in football where the technology, now that you got an iPad and tablets and all these things, you can – you know, with at the high school level, they you know they use huddle a lot of times where mm-hmm. players can really zero in on watching film on their own away from the facility. And I'm certain they have it in 
and and they do it in basketball too. But you know, you know, at the college level, they have the same kind of technology where players can be watching film. I would imagine there's going to be a, a bigger onus, a bigger responsibility on the player level to be prepared through film study. Yeah, that's going to be a, that's going to be part of the culture change, I would suppose, under Musselman versus Anderson. Well, you, and you even have at the practice facility if you've ever gone in there and visited or seen it, where on the courts you have like a television, like a TV, and you know a right. setup just right there on the court for those film sessions. And because that was the thing with Mike, he always just wanted to say, "I'm not going to worry about." what that team's doing. I'm going to worry about what right. we're doing. And we're the ones that's going to dictate it. There's yeah, merit there to that. I'm just there saying, is. I think the way Musselman's going to go about it, it, it's going to take an adjustment for the players that have been on last year's roster that re- are retained on this year's roster to get used to the expectation for preparation through Phil. Mm-hmm. And any coaches or staff members that are retained, looks like Scotty Thurman's probably going to hang around. There's going to be an adjustment with how much film prep i just think his professional basketball background is going to bring a lot more film study from what we can tell so far versus what has been done here in the past where the focus has been we're going to focus on our team and our strengths and what we do and and try to just go at it from that angle and i think that that's nothing but a positive and, and more hey, film study well and you can also study yourself on film that's right so improve yourself so I, that's the element that i think is really positive for this program now you got to be able to know what to do with the film. You know, you got to be able to know what well, to study and how to study and all it, that. What I, I think coming from an NBA background, yeah. he's, he's got those skills. Yeah, and, and again, because that's you're absolutely what you're right. You know, you got to know how to break down a film. Yeah, because like when Nick Mason, when he came on the show, he talked about John Pelfrey and how John Pelfrey watched a lot of film and on no. other teams and stuff. But if you don't know how to study it or translate it onto the court, it doesn't matter. Listen, I, I can I can only look at it from an officiating perspective but i watched a lot of film early in my career until i sat through a class at a camp a clinic one time and someone taught me how to break down one of my games pretty eye-opening and it was night and day now how how you look at a game tape once you learn how to break one down same thing you know there's a difference between watching film and breaking down film yeah and if and And you got to know how to go about it yeah and i didn't know until someone taught taught me you know here's what you want to look at freeze it here look at this here you know and depending on what you're looking at you know i was looking at it from an, an officiating perspective but obviously it, it's one thing to just watch a game what are you watching for you know no because i can watch I can, I can watch film right. i can watch anybody, a game anybody <laughs> watch film yeah i just don't know what to do with it you're listening to the bud light morning rush podcast brought to you by the all-new natural light natterdays the new beer of the summer with a refreshing strawberry lemonade twist natterdays fun for every occasion they won't catch him alex collins is gonna take it all the way to the house Tommy, I know this is something that's right up your wheelhouse as an official and a referee that you are. Wonderful. Is that the NCAA? <laughs> yeah, so you're going to make more people mad at me. There you Wonderful. go. That's what I'm all about. I'm all about making people mad at you. But the NCAA has announced that they have been making some changes to some of their rules in college football, specifically okay. dealing with two things, targeting mm-hmm. and overtime. Now, the new targeting rule which i'm not and, totally and, against and targeting has been something that has evolved as a yes, rule over time and and i think every time they have made adjustments they have improved the rule yes and i think that this is going to improve the rule as well targeting reviews which we know that has happened it seems like it happens every single game that there's a targeting review but targeting reviews will no longer have calls that just stand 
where there's not inconclusive evidence, so the call stands. It's either confirmed or overturned. Mm -hmm. That's it. So you have to have full-fledged evidence of targeting. If you don't, it's overturned. Right. So I think that will help, again, but the, it seems like We're just it. changing the label. I mean, right. some of these are bang-bang calls. Even in slow motion from nine angles and high def, some of these are bang-bang. And to me, just me, if it's that close, let the guy stay in the game. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's just me. Because football is a game of a lot of moving parts. And things happen in a game. To me, the, the obvious targeting calls stand out. When a guy, because to me, what is targeting? To me, and I know the rules can, but to me, when a guy is, when a, when a player is trying to use his helmet as a weapon, those are the those are the players and those are the plays you need to penalize. Not when the running back lowers his his frame and his body three inches at the point of contact, and the defender's coming in and his body turns, and then all of a sudden there's helmet to helmet contact that's somewhat incidental if you if you will and then the flag comes out because helmets collided and now we go to review and the next thing we know someone's leaving the rest of the game yeah in part potentially next week those are the ones that i i I still even understanding the rules and understanding the intent just just don't think are equitable don't i don't think they're fair because it is a game where listen as a defender you may be trying to do exactly what your coach to do. The coach may be coaching it correctly, and because the bodies move up, you know, a few inches, now you find yourself penalized and perhaps suspended for the rest, ejected for this game, and perhaps suspended the next week as a result of just trying to make a play. Let's get the guys though that are trying to weaponize their helmet and get them out of here. And and when it's flagrant, I think that the penalty should be stiffened on those guys. So if you're launching yourself, you're trying to hurt somebody, and it's clear and obvious on video, one game's not enough. But if you're trying to make a legitimate football play, I, I've, I've, I've got some understanding for yeah. those kind of plays. What, and like and I think it puts the officials in a bad spot, well, too. Well, and like you said, intent to me matters. Intent, Absolutely. Intent matters. And that's because what, football is a physical game. Yeah. There's going to be contact. And guess what? Sometimes in just trying to make a legitimate football play, helmets are going to collide. Yeah. And they've gotten rid of some of this stuff. You know, some of this they have gotten rid of. But I, I tell you, there's some of these plays that I've thought just watching have almost been unavoidable. Now, they've done a better job defining some of this stuff where, you know, you got to lead with the crown and, and, and there's just been basically some, some qualifiers, if you will. Did this happen? This happened? You know. Was there lower to the head? Was there use of the crown? Were, were these Did these things get involved in the play to define, help define some of these type of plays? And that's made it easier for not just the officials on the field, but the replay booth to properly uh, and consistently officiate these plays. Yeah, and I'm not saying that I or anybody on social media or anything knows the rules as far as targeting goes as to the lay of the law and knows it by the book. But there were so many times last year where it seemed like there was a play that was like, okay, that's targeting. Yeah. And then once the review happened, it got overturned. Or there were times where that's not targeting. Review happened. Then it was right. confirmed. But I mean, it, it was just there was never really a, just a black and white way of calling targeting. And, and I can well, understand if it's frustrating for fans. I'm sure it's frustrating and tough on officials, too. But one of the changes many leagues have made, including the Southeastern Conference, and I think this has helped in, in football, and we've seen it in the other sports. And now that the... 
the SEC has really led the way because this league made the investment in putting the infrastructure in to have all of their facilities wired up and where they have fiber fiber optics running back to the home office so they have central command on replay and when you when you centralize it and you have one person really making the that's how you get consistent you know when you got a different replay official in the booth that you know potentially you know seven to, to 13 14 different stadiums depending on the saturday and the schedule but you know, at least seven home games on a all-conference Saturday, and that's rare. But say say ten replay. How can ten different guys in ten different cities be be the same? It's just impossible. But when you got one guy, Steve Shaw, ultimately making the final call in Birmingham, that's a little easier for him to look at a play over here in Athens and a play in Knoxville and a play in Fayetteville, and say yes, no, yes, you know, based on seeing the same plays all day long, week to week. And I think that's one thing that's helped to get the league because that's the one thing that frustrates coaches and fans is, well, this play over here in Knoxville that we saw on a highlight was a, was not an ejection, but our our cornerback was ejected on what looked to be the same play. That's frustrating. And then when the coaches go and look at it and they see the same thing, they're even more infuriated because now their all-conference cornerback or whatever is their mm-hmm. starting quarterback. They don't care if he's all-conference or not. He's the guy they need to win is out. Yeah. It's, well, t- it's tough. Well, it's like the situation was with Devin White last year of LSU when he had a targeting penalty there in the second half of a game, and then the next game is going to be suspended for the first half, and that game was Alabama, and it was their best player. Well, I mean, stuff like that. But if their next game had been McNeese State, no right. one cared. Well, well, right, that's what I'm saying. But when it gets elevated as far as what's right. what's on the what's on the line, what's at stake, then people are going to make it into a bigger deal, and it's going to get magnified. Right. But again, if defenders continue to work on their techniques. Not hit opponents in the head, you know, hit hit opponents in the strike zone, above the knees, below the shoulders, you know, those those are and not lead with the crown of your helmet. Don't use your helmet as a weapon. That's that's how you protect yourself as a football player. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of these a lot of these rules are put in not to defend, not to protect the person you're hitting, to also protect you. Yeah. A lot of the, if you'll do the research, there is a good percentage of these injuries that occur that the person delivering the hit ends up injured with a very severe neck injury. Mm-hmm. You know, now now the percentage of the severe injuries are, is small, but when they are, they're they're severe, and you know that's what they're trying to get out of the game. And ultimately, these kind of car wreck type collisions they're having out there. Are going to result in in the big fear is at the professional level and it is a fatal injury mm-hmm. and that's what everybody is is just you know the the stakeholders of the game is so worried about and yeah. should be yeah and it's because a, the bodies are bigger faster stronger and the collisions are getting bigger they've got to do something yeah and then to add to the rule uh, what the NCAA is also doing is that any player that racks up three targeting penalties in a season they're suspended for that entire game the next game so they have three so on the season lessening that. So. Yeah, so I mean, it's they're 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 adjusting it, and they're they're trying to find, they're figure out ways to be more but, equitable. Yeah, and again, football is a sport where the bodies are moving, all the parts are moving at high speed and in really a confined space, and officials on the field are may or may not have the the right angle. The, the guy in the replay booth in the stadium, really, all he's got is the buzzer to stop the game. He's not ultimately 
he's coordinating things, but it's Steve Shaw and the crew in Birmingham that's ultimately making these calls now. Yeah, it's not your. Everybody says, well, the re and the announcer, the replay official for today's game is no. I'll give you a name you may or may not have heard of before, but it's really not him anymore. Yeah, it's all it's all done remotely. Yeah, pretty much. But that helps to be consistent from game to game, week to week. Yes, it does. Let's go to the phone lines. Mark is in Van Buren. What's going on, Mark? Hey guys, I appreciate you taking the call. Of course. Hey, quick question for you about this this uh, fish, uh, the rule changes and everything on the targeting. Do they have an appeal process as of right now or something like that? I know. Like if I don't, something I mean, happens and. Do they have a process where they can appeal it and say, "No, this is not like what it needs to be," or something like that? I think I don't think it's enough. They officially have an appeal process. Uh, I'd have to look more on it. But if they don't have it, then they, I think they should, and that should be something that should be installed. Is that they can go through an appeal process, especially when you have a week to week game basis. There should be plenty of time to be able to review something like that. Uh, I'd have to look more into it. But if they don't, they definitely need one. Yeah, that was my next question. Do you think they should have an appeal process for it? So. Well, they, they, I mean, that was one thing I was curious about that because thirty sports, if I do an appeal process, then you know they're allowed to play until that appeal is done. And well, here's here, you know my big concern about that. Here's the deal, Mark. On on like particularly a targeting call or something that went to replay in Birmingham, the appeal process would go in the in the SEC would go to Steve Shaw, the coordinator of of, of officials, who is also the person making the determination and leading the group of officials in Birmingham each Saturday making that call. So you're it would be like appealing a case to a judge and then that appeal goes basically to the same judge. So they were they were right. I mean that, that's essentially where you're at right now. Now I don't know if there's right. some changes well, in that process I'm unaware of, but that that that's kind of how the process works because coaches all the time every week publicly and and more often privately send tapes in to the league office to have comment and ruling on and now obviously they're not overturning calls but but uh you know ultimately the person deciding on a lot of these targeting calls on a saturday in the moment in the game is the coordinator of officials he's right there in that right. replay room in birmingham right and, and, and that's who would hear the appeal be, and i'm not saying that they should appeal it right then and there but i mean i'm talking about long term as far mm-hmm. as you know the amount of penalties that you rack up in the season right you know, and appealing that—that's what I'm talking about. Well, well, Mar- well Mark, I, ju- yeah. I know, I know that's a game time decision. You can't just sit there and say, "Well, I appeal." You know, I want to appeal this now. Then you got to wait, you know, three days to finish the game. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just saying. No, that, no, no. I, no, I get know, what you're there saying. There needs to be something for that. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, but you know, coaches all the time send in game tape for opinion from the league office. Yeah, but as of right now, to right. answer your question, okay. Mark, there is no appeal process right. when it comes to targeting and, as of right now. And right. Okay. Well, that's something that needs to be changed, in my opinion, on that. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast, brought to you by the all-new Natural Light Natterdays, the new beer of the summer. Let me tell you, nothing will test a marriage more than backing a boat down a ramp or a trailer into a slip, or that will test a marriage right there. Now that's happened to you. That will that will test a marriage. Trying to <laughs> trying to put a, a boat in the dock, uh, some some along anything along those lines will uh, will will test and and find out the the true strength of a marriage. Well, we never had a, a boat or anything like that, but I tell you the one of the times that I felt like my parents' marriage was tested is when my mom backed her vehicle into my dad's vehicle. That's like the worst thing you can do is when you wreck 
two vehicles into each other in the same family because now, now it's nobody double. else's insurance that's, can pay for right, that. That's a double whammy there. <laughs> yeah, that's like the worst thing that could happen. So, but uh, no, I've never never had to back up a boat. Although my truck, it does have a trailer hitch in for it, just in case I ever decide yeah. to haul anything, which probably you won't. have the. Uh, the extension, the, the ball in there now? Yeah. Well, not that's in there now. I have a okay. hitch cover. That's just a good thing to run when you're circling the back to just hit your shin on then. Oh, no yeah. need to have no, it no, in no, there no, unless no. You, that's just a good thing to hit your shin on. No, I, I feel like I'm only going to bring yeah. it out when I actually have something yeah. to put in there. Yeah. But you know you know where the uh, the actual uh, the ball is? In my toolbox. That you that can't I had, open. That I can't open. I got to yeah. know. I got it open. Or I just. Did you get keys to it? Yeah, no, I got the keys. I got it open. Uh, the only problem with it is it's just one of the handles don't work. Oh. So I got I to gotta get me a new handle on there. Those things are expensive. It was like, uh, would I rather get a handle or get a new toolbox? It's like toolbox, like 400 bucks. Hmm. And I got to make the truck look cool. So, I mean, because toolboxes make trucks look cool. I'm all about the that. The truck's got to look cool since the driver's struggling. I'd say, well, in that department. You got you to do something with it. So you got to make it happen. But either way. Uh, you know what they say about guys in jacked up trucks. So. Compensated for something, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And that and that's what you heard, Tommy. That's what I've been. That's what Ty, I read. Ty, doesn't your vehicle have a four cylinder? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know about cars. I just know it's. A you don't know what type of engine that your car has. <laughs> it gets me to point A to point B. Yeah. That's uh, that's there what a Camry go. does. Yeah. Good gas does. mileage. It's got an ox cord. Okay. An ox cord. There you go. You don't know what the engine feature, is, but it's got an ox. But cord. it's got an ox cord. That's all that matters. Have, I guess it doesn't have Bluetooth then. It's a good car. Does no, it, it has Bluetooth. Yeah. Then why do you need the ox cord? I just, it has the ability to do both. Oh, well, so, that, that drives the women wild. Get, get you a truck, <laughs> get you a vehicle that does both. Hey, baby, you want to take a ride in my Camry Jeez. with the aux cord? Dude. Yeah, Bluetooth and aux cord. Yeah, that, wow. that sucker's lasting at 300 miles, 300,000, boys. And so. you beat them off this, with a stick of dicks. It's hard, it's wow. hard. Wow. Mm-hmm, it's hard, too. I hear about that aux cord, man. Good grief. Things we do for love. Uh, you know, we were talking about the NCAA and the rule changes that they had in college football and the targeting rule. Which was a big rule, and we had a really good discussion on it. But there was another side of the rule that I want to get into, and the one that I felt like at least I was more upset by. That is the overtime rule in college football. Because to me, college football overtime is awesome. I love college football overtime. Mm-hmm. Compared to the NFL, yeah. it is light years ahead. And I know it's a What's Your overtime. Beef Wednesday, but when people come in here and complain following an overtime game that college football's overtime needs to be changed, they're drunk. They're, yeah. No, I mean, there's. I just feel like there's... To me, the NFL overtime needs to be changed. Yeah, and trains change dramatically. But here's the new rule change in overtime when it comes to college football. Through the first four overtimes, it'll remain the same. Nothing different about it. Still got to go for the two-point conversion once the three... Okay. So third overtime starts. Starting with the third overtime, you go for two, right? Right, yeah. You, right. you go for two. That's, 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 that's the, way the way it's been. Right. right. It's been all that way. But starting in the fifth overtime... If you get to that point, which we saw last year with LSU mm-hmm. and Texas A&M, teams will no longer be starting at the 25 going for touchdowns and two-point conversions. Teams will then just alternate attempts for two-point conversions. That's it? That's it. No, So no place from scrimmage? Just nope. Two- you start at the three-yard line, and you go for two. That's not the worst thing ever. But I don't think it it's- speeds it up. But I don't think it's good. I, I don't like well, it. Because you're just sma- you're like a two-point conversion. You're smashing each other. Play after play after play after play. To me, it makes it easier to go yeah. longer. <laughs> Having a two-point conversion contest. But it's quicker. It is. But 
But here's the thing, like, and I, and this is where my mind but immediately how, okay, went. Okay, okay, but it, uh, but how many of these are we going to have a year? That was going to be my point. Is that last year you had a seven overtime game with A and M and LSU? When was the last time you had a seven overtime game? Here's before that. Two thousand and three. Here's the part I hate about it. Now the record. Now Arkansas's tied record. There's Arkansas yes. doesn't hold it anymore. Solely at seven overtimes. Sucks. But there's going to now be an eight, nine, ten overtime game because of this. Yep. And, that, and that's the thing that does suck about it. If you're a Razorback or, fan, you like having that record. Or my logic tells me that that would be the likelihood. Well, see, and that's what or, I'm... Or, or, or is it going to go the other way, that these games will be over because you just got to make... Now you just got to make one defensive play. Yeah. Or one offensive play and one de- two plays and you're out of here. Yeah. Because, I mean... Maybe I'm wrong. Logic would say that if you're starting at the three-yard line every single time, you have a better chance of extending those overtimes because it's it's one play from three yards out... But at the same time, though, how often do you see two-point conversions once the third overtime starts actually converted upon? I mean, it's it's about 50-50, at well, least from what I would guard. I can tell you, you know what this is all about, don't you? TV. TV wants these games fit in a nice box so they move on to the next one. And the longer these things... Dry, but to me, I mean, you start tweeting about these things, and I mean, but TV's... It, it, TV is what's in charge of all this stuff. They want basketball games to fit in a two-hour window. They want football games to fit in a... They'd like them in a three-hour window, but that's not going to happen. Yeah, but that happen. makes all eyes come to your game. If it's like a fifth overtime, people just fly to it. But you know what they don't have? Ads sold for overtime. There's the problem. I guess so. But it's, it's disappointing, Because you though. can't... I mean, you can't sell ads for... I don't know how that works. But the, the problem is they're not... They generate viewers, but I don't imagine they're generating a lot of extra revenue because they had overtime. And then the the next, I'm, and I'm sure that even if they had some standby advertisers or whatever, that's not as lucrative as the first quarter advertisers in the game that's getting pushed off. No, but it, it, trust me, this is about TV. Yeah, which I and I agree with you. I mean, it's always about TV. It's always about the dollars and cents. I mean, that's where it's at. But I guess my question also is, what if, just what if, this new rule? extends games even longer than what the rule previously would have been like where you're yeah. having teams just go back and forth back and forth well, it may extend forth. the number of overtimes but i think it'll speed up the actual actual time it takes to to conclude the game yeah maybe so maybe so hello i mean you know, here's I'll, the thing you can always change it back you can always true. adjust it again yeah and, and i'll be curious and to again, see how it goes it'll take two or three or four years to kind of figure out yeah I mean, how many times are you going to get to five overtimes i mean they've studied this there's only, I mean, somebody can do the research. I don't know how many five overtime or more games there's been in the last three to four or five seasons, but I'm going to guess not many. It's a handful. So, but I guarantee you, this is TV executives saying, "Listen, we got to get moved on to the next game because we're losing too much money on the next game that's got to get on the air." That's a good point. And and then there's also the the player safety aspect. At some point, when these you know players are exhausted, it, you know, is it is there a safety element that I'm sure someone's going to say that's part of it? I don't know. That's I I, I can just hear someone making shouting from the top row that that's an argument. I don't know if that's entered the equation or not. But I seems like I could just hear someone shouting player safety. Yeah. Well, it's a because hot topic of, issue. Because of fatigue. Yeah, it's a hot topic issue. Let's go and to the I phone I would lines. think you would be more likely to get injured. And you you would ma- think. Maybe. I don't know. You would think. John is in Little Rock. What's going on, John? I'm going to shout player safety. Thank you. <laughs> there you uh, go. 
I think, you know, by the time uh, Arkansas had played uh, in the seven-time overtime game, and then I think they had a six-overtime game that year, too. I, the next was year, one next year, year with Tennessee, had, it was with Tennessee, wasn't it? Yeah, so. Well, th- there was one year where we had two long ones, and, and it, it was almost, you know, we had played an extra game by the time the uh, the season had worn on. So mm-hmm. I think this... I think this speeds it up a little bit, even though if you do go eight, nine overtimes, it's still going to be less time than, uh, you know, the conventional overtime. We'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see if they just shove both, you know. I mean, theoretically, you could have offense and defense on one side and the other offense and defense on the other side just watching them and then just switching back and forth. Yeah. Um, I don't think they'd do yeah. that. The one rule that I'd like to see them change, though, if they're changing rules, if they're feeling like doing this, is, man, if nobody hits you, if you catch a ball and you fall and nobody's around, you should be able to get up and run like the NFL. That one drives me crazy. But, uh, you know, in terms of the overtime, we'll, we'll see how it works, but I, I kind of like this tweak. Yeah, yeah appreciate not, the phone call, It's not the worst, trust me. There's been other rule changes yeah. that have been horrible. This yeah. is not one of them. Yeah, and here's the thing. It's, it's almost like penalty kicks in soccer is essentially what it's become when it gets to that overtime period. It's just a matter of, all right, how many teams? Because I'm sure that they'll, you know, whichever team wins the coin toss or mm-hmm. whatever, they'll have a chance if the other team scores and back and forth. Right. So, I mean, there could be some positive. I, it could be really see, great, but... You know, I'd go the old XFL style. Let's just do away with the coin toss and run the Oklahoma drill. You send your baddest dude out, you send your baddest dude out. We're just going to run the Oklahoma drill. Whoever wins that gets the, gets their choice. Man, now that would be a reason to be in your seat early. Give a whole, give some real. What would be wrong with interest that? in the coin toss? I don't have a problem with it. Player safety, Tommy. Player safety. <laughs> it's that everything. Player safety. Just throw it out there. I I love it though. I think that'd be. I mean, awesome. that would be awesome. Yeah. No, no coin toss. Hey, you got connections. Go no, no coin toss at all. We're Oklahoma drill to start the game. You got connections with officiating. You make yeah, it happen. Yeah. Put a phone call in. <laughs> Put someone. Is Bielema still on the rules committee? Let's get that on there. Let's get that before the committee. Oklahoma drill to start the game. Oh, yeah, because I'm sure he'd love that. Jeez. <laughs> never mention that name again. Your number one source of local news and information you need. Like the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast? Check out the halftime pod at hitthatline.com.